So we're teaching this particular teaching, I think, by way of reminder. Sometimes in our fellowship together, we just have to remind each other. And, um, in the quest, uh, quest to uplift and to up, encourage and inspire each other, we think um, sometimes it's, it's effective just to remind each other of certain things. So last week we spoke about the scripture that um, exhorts us to lay up for ourselves treasures in heaven. So let me quickly see. Um, surely uh, you would have been giving some meditation, spent some time in meditation, given some thought to the concept of, uh, of treasure in heaven. Um, so we, we know that some of us, some of us will recognize that sometimes when it comes to kingdom and flesh, what do you call it a thing that kids play on? A seesaw. So, I think for <coughs> most believers, the balance between flesh and spirit. Well, we did kingdom do that whole yes. teaching series on the yes. scales. I, I know, that was a good teaching. Yes. Okay, so why did you just in between, Because I decided that was old, we'll try a new thing. Okay. Yes, uh, seesaw. So, so this is an important scripture when it comes to our experience of, uh, of spirit and, and earth, the things of this world and the things of the kingdom, because this actually gives us a key. It says that where your treasure is, there your heart will be. Um, so obviously there's an ideal situation where your heart is where? Where's the treasure? Let's read the scripture. This one? Yes. Okay. Matthew chapter 6, <coughs> verse 19 to 21. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So we might read this and go, well, <coughs> my treasure on earth is insured, and, um, and I've got an alarm system, um, ADT, God's my house, I've got burglar bars in front of the windows and um, electric fencing and a big dog and um, then most of the money I keep in a safe in the, or the house that's surrounded by all of this. So actually this scripture doesn't pertain to me because the thieves are not going to come in and I fumigate my house so the moths are no problem. I'm not saying that we should not be spending time um, securing our earthly belongings. 
But isn't that uh, how we spend so much of our lives and attention is we have to. We have to secure our earthly belongings. Um, some other ways in which we secure our life and our belongings on earth is we try and arrive uh, at our workplace on time and we work overtime or we arrive early and work overtime just to make sure that our life here is secure. That's how we have to do it, isn't it? We have to work well, make sure. So we have to spend a lot of time and energy making sure that our earthly belongings and our earthly life is safe and secure. It's a fact of life. Now, through the word, the God of the universe is now telling us now, you have to do even more so that you may have more of your treasures there than here. Is that how we read this? Or we just read over it and we go like, no, oh, this is great. I'm just going to gather up treasure in my spare time somewhere when I get some spare time. I'm going to fill the heavens with my treasure <clears throat> and my heart will be there. It's easy. Just read it. Go like, yes, Lord, I, I'm going to do this. So we have to spend literally the greatest portion of our days just maintaining our earthly wealth or survival. And then the Bible says now we have to store up for ourselves treasure in heaven. So uh, am, I, am I actually just bringing the clarity and the weight of how big this scripture actually is? Treasure. Treasure in heaven. So I'm still saving up for a big screen TV. Now I've got to now I've got to also gather up treasure in heaven. See how we read it and we don't actually realize that this is a big challenge. Isn't it? Big challenge. Okay. So we've got to ask the question, what is treasure? What's treasure? Now, let's unpack this together with the parable about the talents, because we're going to look at the talents. And then we're going to start finding out a possible um, action plan, a strategy, and um, a way in which we start storing up for ourselves treasure in heaven. So who's got to store up the treasure? Me. You. Right? You. That you get where? And how do you get it there? A lot of meditation. So you just really, really throw very hard. What do you do? How do you career what you have accumulated to your own safe deposit box in heaven? Into the safe in your mansion. So how many people have read the scripture and actually sat down and tried to figure out how the heck do I get treasure that I don't know what it is? that I've got to now obtain in some way, how do I get it there? Anybody think about this before? Mm -hmm. 
Pardon? Always been there? Well, you could go that way. But, but if it's all, yeah. You wouldn't have had to say it. So if there's nothing to do, then you wouldn't say lay up for yourself. It says that once you have laid up treasure there, then your heart will be there. So now, if we only look at the scripture, your heart is not going to, in reality, reside there unless there's treasure. So we're looking at just, just the positioning of the heart. So this is about a positioning of the heart. So we, as believers, assume, I love the Lord, so my heart will be there. But this scripture says your heart will be where your treasure is. So in our imagination, we tell, each, we tell ourselves our hearts will be in, in the kingdom of heaven, busy with the things of, of heaven, and our hearts will be where the Lord is. But what's the reality? Let's be honest. How much? Um, how often is my heart just <coughs> right here where the decay is? Right here where the selfishness is. Right here where the other stuff is. It's it's true. I'm not trying to make you negative. This is an edifying teaching. It is. <laughs> promise you. But first we have to we have to, to promise. <laughs> <laughs> unless you keep it. Okay. So. So the fact is that we have to, we have to, we have to look at this thing uh, in a sober, realistic, honest way. Because otherwise we can be deceiving ourselves and saying, well, my heart is always busy with the things of the Lord. I love the Lord. And the angels up there are going like, where is it? Don't see it. I've looked everywhere. He's saying his heart is here, but I don't know, man. Maybe just a really small heart, I don't know. Have you looked under that golden nugget there? No, it's not there. So I'm walking around convinced <coughs> that my heart is constantly positioned in the heavenly places, busy with the things of the kingdom, focused completely on the things of the Lord. Is it true? There might be one of you that, that in your heart of hearts is saying that it's true. My heart is always busy with the Lord. Also, we could present the question that even if we are, even if, we, even if our hearts do love the Lord, so we do genuinely love the Lord, and we want to be busy with His things, um, and are to a certain extent, you know, in the word, in prayer. But is that the same as laying up treasure in heaven? That's the question. What does it take? That's the question. What does it take to actually lay up treasure there? What is treasure? What is, what is the aspects of laying up something there? Because there has to be substance. Substance. So there's a substance that's called treasure, that's considered treasure by God. And we have to work on this side or do something on this side physically to gain treasure so that we can lay it up there.
you can deny yourselves, but with that lay up treasure? That's the, those are the questions we have to answer. So that we don't, so that we don't uh, continue maybe busy, being busy with things that are not actually constituting treasure. It might not be wrong, but it's not treasure. <coughs> um, Let's just look at the parable. Yeah. And then we'll continue from okay, there. Okay, so the parable is in Matthew chapter 25. So the focus is we want to see how are we going to conduct our daily lives in a way that we n n know that we are going to gain treasure to lay up in heaven. Okay, everybody understand that? It's because, not because we want treasure. I think God has enough treasure. It's not like He wants us to add to His whatever treasure is. But the motivation for the study is because it tells us that our hearts will be repositioned. That's the focus of the study. So we're going to figure out, if we, we can try and figure out a strategy to live by, not to gain treasure. The treasure is just, he tells us to store up treasure, but so that our hearts can be repositioned. Makes sense? Makes sense. Okay. Okay. Matthew chapter 25 from verse 14. <coughs> Shall we read the whole thing and then... Mm. Okay, so let's read through the whole thing and then we can dissect it. <clears throat> For the kingdom of heaven is like a man traveling to a far country who called his own servants and delivered his goods to them. And to one he gave five talents, to another two, and to another one, to each according to his own ability, and immediately he went on a journey. Then he who had received the five talents went and traded with them and made another five talents. And likewise, he who had received two gained two more also. But he who had received one went and dug in the ground and hid his Lord's money. After a long time, the Lord of, the Lord of those servants came and settled accounts with them. So he who had received five talents came and brought five other talents, saying, Lord, you delivered to me five talents. Look, I have gained five more talents besides them. His Lord said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You were faithful over a few things. I will make you ruler over many things. Enter into the joy of your Lord. He also who had received two talents came and said, Lord, you delivered to me two talents. Look, I've gained two more talents besides them. His Lord said to him, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a few things. I will make you ruler over many things. Enter into the joy of your Lord. Then he who had received the one talent came and said, Lord, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you have not sown and gathering where you have not scattered seed. And I was afraid and went and hid your talent in the ground. Look, there you have what is yours. But his Lord answered and said to him, You wicked and lazy servant, you knew that I reap where I have not sown and gather where I have not scattered seed. So you ought to have deposited my money with the bankers, and at my coming... I would have received back my own with interest. 
Therefore take the talent from him and give it to him who has ten talents. For to everyone who has, more will be given, and he will have abundance. But from him who does not have, even what he has will be taken away. And cast the unprofitable servant into, outer, into the outer darkness, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Okay. Like I said, an edifying teaching. It really is. If we stick to the first part of the parable. <laughs> <laughs> right, so. I remember my first sermon after being, after getting saved or getting to know the Lord, where um, this was used. <laughs> and the guy uh, did a wonderful teaching on um, the talents being uh, like a toolbox. And one person, it's like he has a hammer, he did, God gives him a hammer, and the other person, he had to take, he got some volunteers, and the other person got a screwdriver, and then um, what the Lord had dispensed to each one is certain abilities and um, certain talents, and then we all contribute by, for instance, should a chair in church need some fixing, <laughs> then we bring with our talents and we contribute to the greater good of the church, and the others have a talent to bake cake and they will contribute and then that will be used to raise money for the new uh, additions to the building. A oh, man, did he nail this teaching. <laughs> okay. So do you want to tell them about the talents? Firstly, let's just start with the practical stuff. Okay, just the practical stuff. So, verse 15 says, Okay, and to one he gave five talents, to another two, to another one, to each according to his own ability. Okay, but before that it says, He called his own servants and, del and delivered his goods to them. Okay, let's just do what talents are, and then you oh, start just from the start. And you okay, show so them what talents, in this case, is... It's a money bag. So one talent was worth in those days. It's about six, well, around most of the time 6,000 denarii. And denar, a, denar, a denarius was a day's wage. So one usually. denarius was about a day's wage. So basically a talent is a uh, term for a weight. A certain amount of these coins that he then gives to them. So if you had a certain weight in coins, then they knew it was a talent. So in, in, in the parable, the same parable in Luke, they call it minus. Minus. So it's yeah. not... So we have now... It's money. Definitely established that talents are money. So it says the Lord's going to give you money. And hallelujah. Amen. Okay. That's the end. <laughs> no, also not that teaching. I heard that <laughs> teaching before. Okay. <laughs> okay, so the Lord is using the picture of a silver coins being weighed out. And it's a unit of. So the first guy got 6,000 denarii uh, times 5. So he's actually giving six him 6,000 six, 6, times 5. Yes. Yeah. So, he's actually thousand. giving the guy that he's giving the most, he's entrusting him with a lot of money, actually. If one denarii was a day's wages, he's giving him a lot of money. Hmm. Okay. So, 
we know that we're not looking at the God, the Lord gave you a special gift to play the drums. That's not it. Okay, got nothing to do with that. So it's not our gifts and our talents. It is not that. Okay. The reason can we say the reason now you can tell them why. Okay, so the reason we say that it says, for the kingdom of heaven is like a man traveling to a far country. So obviously this is representing the Lord, who called his own servants and delivered his goods to them. And then it says he does so, so he gives to each one certain of his goods according to his own ability. Which means that it can't be the abilities that he's giving them because he's giving his goods to them according to the abilities that they already have. Makes sense. So it says it clearly. So he wouldn't have gone like, I'm going to give you abilities according to your abilities. That's nonsense. Okay. So they have certain abilities, they have certain things that they can do, and so according to that, he's going to deliver his goods to them. And then it says, So the kingdom of heaven is like a man traveling to a far country. So his servants, he calls his own servants, now he's going to give his goods to them, and then he's going to go away. And it says he goes away for a long time, because it says after a long period of time. After a long time, the Lord came back. Okay, so the picture that is being painted is obviously the picture of us while we are here. So this is the laying up for ourselves treasures in heaven. We see the link happening. So the Lord comes, then he's going to give us certain of his own possessions, his own goods. Then he is going to go to his kingdom. We are going to trade and do certain things or not do certain things. And then after a long time, he's going to come back. And then we see then he's going to settle accounts. So where is the trading taking place? Yeah. While we're here. Obviously, there's no point once we go to heaven, then going like, let's trade now. Because then everything is just everything and it is what it is. So it means Yahushua, according to this this parable, he's going to give us some of his belongings, something that belongs to him. So it's coming from him. It used to, it, it, it's his belongings. It remains his belongings. He's just entrusting it to us. And then in the end, we give it back to him. So it never becomes ours. So he's not giving it. He's entrusting it. to, And we're supposed to do something with it. And he's going to determine how much he's going to give each person according to that person's abilities. So God is the one that creates us. We might have, uh, over a period of time, increased our abilities through learning or practice. But when he gives the talents, he assesses our abilities and he gives us according to the abilities. Okay, very important to understand because this is not how I've heard this taught before. So now, can I be upset if I'm the two-talent guy? Do I want the Lord to give me five talents if I don't have the abilities that goes with five talents? Do I want that? So the Lord isn't being unfair. It's better for the two-talent person to get two talents. Because if he gives him five and you don't have the abilities, it's going to get you in trouble. Okay? Remember, he's giving of what is his to another to look after and to multiply. Is the picture becoming clear? 
Because I know we usually, I don't, know, I don't think in this group we're still there, <laughs> but usually, anybody read this? Everybody wants to be the five-talent guy, right? <coughs> and everybody's going to say to themselves, well, that one-talent guy, shame on him. <laughs> no matter, it's like out of the entire total number of believers in the world, nobody's going to read and go like, I'm the one-talent guy. <laughs> No, no one's going to do that. <laughs> so, uh, most people are going to read and go like, I can't play the guitar, I can't play the flute, I can't play the drums. <laughs> but I'm pretty sure I'm the five-talent guy, nonetheless. I can bake an egg. So, it's, that's, that's, that's what we do, isn't it? Or is there some of us that read it and go like, poor me, I'm the one talent guy, I've received no talents. In my old life I might have thought a little bit like that. Just think, what do we do? What do we do when we read this? So, but if we have a suspicion or we feel somewhere in our heart that I'm a two talent guy, the Lord has just given me two talents, I cannot use my phone properly, which is true. I cannot play any musical instruments. All I can do is read the Bible. So he just gave me two talents, and I'm so envious of the five-talent guy. We do envy without meaning it, don't we? Mm-hmm. Right? Okay, let's just settle this one aspect of this. We're taking it slow because this is very important little steps. If you think carefully, this links very nicely into all the principles that we did. Okay. So, we're going to start off with something. And he's going to assess the abilities that we do have. And the abilities that we do have, obviously in this case, I think it would be safe to assume that this is for, because he says his own servant. So, this isn't just anyone who thinks of, you know, let's be a believer or not even. These are his (coughs) own servants. So, I think it's safe to assume that these are I'm going to say born again, <laughs> um, reborn believers, which means that they've died, they've been resurrected, and so the abilities that they now have, is, it is the God creation. So God, or the Lord, is going to give according to the God-given creation. So not even according to our own successes. I mean, I'm not saying that, we, that it's impossible to add or to equip or to you know, gain knowledge or extra abilities, but it would be according to the God creation. So would it be right for anybody to use this parable in, at a women's conference? <laughs> Ladies, I am here today to tell you that Lord, the universe, has given each of you talents. I don't know. He has created... don't have talents? He has created <laughs> you wonderfully and fearfully and you are so special and He has dealt to each of you talents. Now, don't underestimate yourselves. I don't believe in this crowd there's any one or two talent people. No, this whole place is filled with five talent peoples. No, would it be right if there's a crowd of 2,000 people that came to a conference, would it be right to teach this parable today? Right? Okay, do you see that we're actually dealing with two very heavy 
very serious scriptures here. Lay up for yourself treasure in heaven. That I believe most people would just read over and go like, sounds great. And then, <laughs> the talents. This is, this is not stuff you're just going to willy-nilly talk about. It says his own servants. Own servants. And he's going to give the Lord, the King of Kings, the Lamb of God is going to give of what is his. And also, why is this important? So, we want to lay up for ourselves treasures in heaven. But the fact of the matter is, we have nothing to start off with. And we know that the scripture says we have nothing that we have not received from the Lord's hands. So in other words, if we are going to be laying up anything, if we are going to be trading with anything, if, if we are going to do anything with anything, he will have to give it to us or entrust it to us because we have nothing to start off with. Okay, so this is also why we're looking at this because he has to entrust us with what is his because he won't give us anything else. And then this is what we use to lay up for ourselves treasures in heaven. Okay, just to clear that. Okay, so now, we just wanted to make sure everybody understands how serious this is. Let's have a look. So what we're supposed to do then is the Lord is going to give us, after renewing us, uh, through various workings of the Spirit and the Word, He's going to give to us of what is His. What is His. His goods on earth. And then he's going to leave us there with this. And who now has to trade with it? Who has to trade with it? So my plan is I'm going to thank you, Lord, for giving me a one talent wisdom and two talents love and a bit of revelation in the Word. I'm now going to spend my time sitting in my room waiting for the Holy Spirit to tell me what to do with it. I have seen people that have been waiting for three years, five years, ten years. And you speak to them, why have nothing changed? Why have nothing developed? And they go, I keep praying, but I'm waiting on the Lord for an answer. Where's the talent? Where has the talent been for the last three years? I'm keeping it safe in here. What is this? This is dust. Where did he bury the where did he bury the talent? In the earth. So for us, the opportunities the Lord gave, the knowledge of the Lord, the revelation of the Lord the understanding of his crucifixion and resurrection, the understanding of his word, the understanding of how to fellowship. We're waiting until the Lord gives us a great big assignment so that we can use it. And while we're waiting, we're keeping it safe in here. Because we don't want to waste it or use it wrong, because we know that the Lord can be severe. I'm going to be careful. I'm going to carefully keep and protect the talents the Lord has given me, His own. And I'll keep it safe inside of me while um, <clears throat> I spend most of my time t taking my kids to the rugby, the netball, the um, 
ballet, uh, and all the other things that we do every day. And, but in the meantime, don't worry about the talents. It's safe. I'm keeping it safely inside of my heart until the Holy Spirit tells me what to do. So over a three-year period, I meet people. Meet people doing business, and I get a good report. A really honest businessman. He was diligent in what he did. He provided a very good service, as I expected from this company where he's working at. Um, his bosses um, consider him to be a good, faithful employee. And... Uh, Steadily, we're building our careers because we work worthy of the Lord. All the people that come through our lives, they will give me honor for how good a work I am, how pleasant it was to do business with me. Um, they'd never suspect that I'm carrying around the testimony of the Lord in my heart. So He's given me one of the talents that is, He's dying for the sake of the world, should have been one of those. I should have used um, the wisdom, the possible wisdom of unpacking and understanding the scriptures that is still safely kept in my heart. See, I didn't um, <coughs> necessarily share any of these talents with all the uh, 2,000 customers that came through my life at work over the last two years, the 2,000 of them, they weren't the right ones. Um, see, the Holy Spirit didn't tell me. I'm waiting for that person. That uh, it's going to come. You know that, that person, one day, the Lord's going to use me to, to get saved, to lead to salvation. Just waiting for the right one. So what I've seen happens often is a person has a substance of the word. The Lord has given it to them. So they hear when they're listening to teachings. They hear truth. They understand truth. They accept truth. It becomes part of them. So they receive the word. They receive revelation. They have fellowship at church with people. So there's some substance there. Um, and then you see them doing well then all of a sudden it's like they start losing what they had inexplicably have we seen that happen? it's just one day one day all of a sudden it's like the dimness just starts coming over them their attention, it's just like their attention starts going back to the things of the world more and more. The attention goes towards themselves more and more. And pretty soon, there's this thing that they have to do. They have to choose something, anything. And it's like, rapidly, the Lord starts taking away everything that He's been given them over the last three years, four years, five years. So people steadily growing, increasing in wisdom and knowledge. And then all of a sudden, it's like the Lord takes it away. You're going like, yesterday this guy seemed like he was wise. Today, 
Wisdom's gone. Have you, have you seen this happen? So, we're not, this is not to scare you, but we are being discipled to be those who, who disciple others, to take things to the world. And this is something we need to know. This is what this parable is about. So the desire the person was protecting in his heart to one day serve the Lord, that desire one day is just gone. It's not there anymore. It happens. Okay, so now we know what happens if a person doesn't trade with the talents. So, he says, okay, verse 26, But his Lord answered and said to him, You wicked and lazy servant, you knew that I reap where I have not sown and gather where I have not scattered seed. So you ought to have deposited my money with the bankers, and at my coming I would have received back my own with interest. So we see that there is a minimum expectation set. So just receiving back what the Lord gave isn't enough. He at least expects interest. So now we can ask the question, because, okay, so what does he give us? He gives us obviously a portion of faith, and with that comes grace. But then practically, for us here, the main thing that he gives us is the word. And so if we just look at scriptures and we think of the very basic, very foundational idea of the faith walk that we walk, um, there are certain things that scripture lifts out that we see as a minimal. So if we think in terms of the storyline of the Bible, the very first revelation of faith that we see is Abel who brings a sacrifice of a lamb. And, and in the Hebrews chapter 11, it says that God testified that this was indeed faith. So now we just look at, so what is the very first revelation of faith? What is the very first faith response that we see that the Lord acknowledges as being good and acceptable? Yes. Death and resurrection. So we see the sacrifice. So the very first revelation that we receive for our faith journey to start this road is the revelation that the lamb has died so I can live. That's the very basic first revelation. And then we see that in Romans chapter 12 verse 1, I'm going to get there. It says... I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. Your reasonable service. So this isn't above and beyond. This is just what the reasonable thing to do. So the Lord has granted you salvation and resurrection and everlasting life. The least you could do is be a living sacrifice. That's the reasonable thing to do. Because why? We see that it's the first revelation of faith. So Abel brings the sacrifice of the lamb, and then just after that, lays down his own life, physically dies as a sacrifice. <coughs> because it's the example of the first thing that the Lord does for us. 
<coughs> laying down his life. Okay, so if we look at just <coughs> the Lord saying, well, at least, you know, the least you could have done is just deposited my money and I could have get, you know, just the basic return would have been, we can equal that with us doing our reasonable service in laying down our own lives as a sacrifice. We also see that the, the letter of 1 John is full of love is laying down your life for the brethren. If you love the Lord, then you will keep his commandments and the whole laying down of your life aspect. Okay, so we have looked at the concept of that various times. There are ways that we do this. But so this is the least that we could do in laying down our lives, our own lives. And so now, if we look at the two-talent and the five-talent guy, we, can, we are now in a position to ask ourselves, okay, well, if they are not just doing the bare minimum, they're obviously doing more, what is the more? And how do we get there? Okay. There's an aspect, I believe, of um, uh, the one-talent guy that, uh, that's interesting, because what the Lord says to him is you could have at least deposited it with the bankers, which means he's not going to do the actual trading. But he is going to take what the Lord has given him of the Lord's own to somebody that will trade on his behalf. <coughs> and this is now a, some part of the teaching that I want to be careful at. Often when we are looking at a person that has because the, the one talent guy had less abilities to start off with than the five talent guy, right? But the one talent guy had to have some abilities to receive one talent. So he received a little portion of what belongs to the Lord. Possibly because of his lesser abilities and his fear it caused them to make the wrong decision. But the Lord said, even if you just gave it to the bankers, they would have traded on your behalf. Possibly because your abilities, you didn't have the abilities, or you, or you, you, you felt insecure because of your low abilities. Now this is a careful thing that I want to carefully say, is that sometimes in the beginning of walks, we have to entrust what we can contribute to some of the people that are already trading well. So, in the beginning of my walk, I would be the one that pitched up early on at, to ch uh, at church and packed the chairs and see that things were just being done. Does it make sense? So this is one of the ways that I think that this works out. So there's people that are preaching the word effectively, that are evangelizing effectively, that are praying effectively, and you have the one talent that you want to bring, and so you want to partner up with the guys that are doing it well in the beginning. Because if you do, then the one talent will become two talents. Mm -hmm. And hopefully your abilities will increase. We've seen how that happens with proper discipleship. We've seen how it worked very well in this discipleship group, where 
uh, people that are humble enough to say, look, I'll, I'll partner with the guy that's trading at the moment, then the abilities increase and the talents increase. Is that right? So, so Leon's wisdom, his understanding has increased incredibly because he was humble enough to say he'll partner with, with myself in doing the kingdom business. But he had a focus on it, and so his abilities and his wisdom and his talents has increased. Is that right? Okay, so what Nadia did, and I'm, this is not one of those where the pastor is trying to get people to help him. It's not that. I'm just, uh, I was reflecting on what could the banker possibly be. The banker is someone that trades by profession. So the five-talent guy gets it right to trade effectively with them, whoever they are. The banker does it every day. So there's a safe way. So the Lord actually says you could have done that. So we want to not minimize the fact that the Lord says that is a possibility. Yeah. If a person in the beginning feels insecure, you feel you, you don't yet know the word enough to share, don't know how to pray, then find a way to partner with the banker and increase in that way. Does it make sense? And I've seen people make the mistake to think they're going to grow their abilities and increase their talents by doing it in their room, by praying for more, by trying to... You can't trade with yourself, okay? This is one of those things. So they take the one talent and they want to increase it in their room by themselves, with themselves. This leads to a cycle of, I'll give you my talent and you'll give it back to me and it's like... <laughs> Wow, you just traded the whole day and you still have one talent. Okay, so, so uh, I know this sounds so simple and so basic, but we are now, we have obviously after the trip received more vision to say, Lord, now how do we propel everybody to get to a place where they can find how they can contribute to the greater work of the Holy Spirit? Uh, when it comes to the harvest. Does that make sense? And so the one thing that we, would we cannot afford is that we did well with our one or two talents and then we lose focus and we lose the talent again. We can't do that. We can't keep it in ourselves and try and increase it in our room. It's not going to work. Mm -hmm. So we've got to identify the right kind of trading. We have to understand we can only trade with what is His. He gave it to us according to our abilities. And then uh, there is a season for a lot of people where we have to sometimes just give it to the bankers. Now, that's what you did. You came in, and the Lord gave you, started giving you some... Uh, he didn't give you five talents straight out because of your abilities, but your abilities were high. But what she did was she started serving with me and uh, helping me to be more effective. And that increased her abilities and it increased her talents rapidly. Does that make sense? Okay, take that under advisement. Okay, so now, let's have a look. We're going to come back to this now. Okay. Let's have a look at something interesting we see in the book of Acts. Oh. Into Acts. Okay.
Let's go to Acts chapter 16 from verse 6. Now when they had gone through Phrygia and the region of Galatia, they were forbidden by the Holy Spirit to preach the word in Asia. After they had come to Mysia, they tried to go into Bithynia, but the Spirit did not permit them. So passing by Mysia, they came down to Troas, and a vision appeared to Paul in the night. A man of Macedonia stood and pleaded with him, saying, Come over to Macedonia and help us. Now after he had seen the vision, immediately we sought to go to Macedonia, concluding that the Lord had called us to preach the gospel to them. Therefore, sailing from Troas, we ran a straight course to Samothrace, and the next day came to Neapolis, and from there to Philippi, which is the foremost city of that part of Macedonia, a colony. And we were staying in that city for some days. Okay, do you want to explain to us what's happening here? Okay, so I'll just explain what's happening here, and then you can explain how this relates to the teaching. Okay, so we see an interesting dynamic here. So Paul and his team are <coughs> actively traveling through the regions trying to preach the gospel. But then we see that the Holy Spirit very intently doesn't allow them to enter certain cities. So they're on the move. They're like, we're going to preach the gospel here. And then the Holy Spirit's like, no. So then they move on to the next town. We're going to preach the gospel here. And then the Holy Spirit says, no. And then since they're moving like wanting to do the work and the Holy Spirit keeps blocking them. So now eventually what happens? Paul has a vision. So I go like, oh, okay, well, we were moving, but now we actually know where to go. So now the Holy Spirit intervenes, helps them. Now they can go to the place where the Lord has called them to preach the gospel effectively. So <laughs> the attitude. See, often, and I've done this, I'm seeking the Holy Spirit to show me what to do. Now, we don't want to be busy with things that the Holy Spirit didn't give us to do. That's a basic principle. We don't want to be praying for people that the Holy Spirit is not praying for, because then it's just me praying. And I don't, definitely don't want to be spending a lot of time ministering to someone if the Holy Spirit isn't involved. So there's that truth. But... They are not sitting around waiting for the Holy Spirit to tell them exactly who to minister to. Or where to go. Or where to go. So they're not sitting... They're walking around. We, they want to trade. Today is trading day. And they have to increase the talents that they are carrying. And so Paul says that the Messiah was revealed in him. So he's a five-talent guy. The pressure is on. He's got a... I think he was, let's just be honest, he was like a 10, 12 talent guy, let's just call it. That's it. not scriptural, five is the most. <laughs> anyway, so, so we see, what, what do we learn out of this? They're moving, they're going like, we're going to Asia, Asia is far. It's like, we're going. And then the Holy Spirit says, okay, great, great, you're on the move, but not here, keep moving. <laughs> Okay, Just get to the new walking. next place. They're ready to trade in the no, wrong place. Okay, and then because he gets a busy. vision of a man in Macedonia. says, come and help us. So now they know exactly where to go. And this, I believe, is a very good picture of how we should be doing it. This is Paul. 
God is still not necessarily always telling him in advance where he's supposed to go. He's leading his whole team. I mean, like, he's walking. Timothy in the back is going like, he doesn't know Timothy has just joined, so he's probably yeah, going like, like this know is going. not what I expected at all. <laughs> We've been walking for a week. He doesn't know where we're going. Why are we following this guy? So I made a huge mistake. <laughs> Okay, so most of the time we are praying and we're looking for vision. We're always seeking vision from the Lord. But the truth is there's times that you just have to move and you trusting the Lord will show you the next step when you get somewhere because you can't sit and wait. What happens when you sit and wait? It happened to me in, in the, at the tellers at Chickas the other day. I was waiting so long that the lady behind me had to do this and go like, it's your turn. Because I just fell asleep. I was like, didn't realize there was no one in front of me. I was just still waiting. So that's what happens when you wait. You lose focus. You lose, mm. you don't pay attention you anymore. lose motivation. Lose motivation if you wait. Mm. So, so this is what we see them doing. They're actually on the move. They're looking for opportunity. They're searching out opportunity they and are they're ready they're ready they're so actually just going to create they... opportunity if it's if it's not there they're going to try and create it hmm. and the holy spirit warns them not to, when they're about to do the wrong thing and then because they are busy they're going to minister to someone so if the holy spirit doesn't lead them right they're going to do it wrong <laughs> So eventually the Holy Spirit gives them very clear indication. <coughs> but now after the vision, it says that they now assumed and uh, just made the deduction that the Lord wants them to preach the gospel in Macedonia because there was a man from Macedonia in the vision that says, come and help us. Okay, so they just conclude that they're supposed to go preach the gospel there. Okay, we know that they go there, it uh, goes well, and then they get in trouble again. But it's... The fact is that the Lord led them into a place where He wants them to go and preach the gospel, but there's no guarantees just because the Lord leads them there that there's not going to be trouble. Mm. Okay? Um, so we see this very interesting dynamic. Let's look at Peter. Okay, so let's go to Acts chapter 10. Yeah, you can tell us part of the story. And okay, but I'll just tell. Okay, so we all know this story by now. So this is the story of Cornelius, the centurion of the Italian regiment, who is known as the first Gentile that received him and his family, they received the Holy Spirit. So he was praying to God, giving alms, and then an angel appears to him and says, you have to send for Peter, who is staying with Simon the Tanner in Joppa, he has to come and then he will tell you everything. So then he sends guys there to go and fetch him. While they are arriving to escort Peter back to Cornelius' house, Peter goes into this trance of the sheet coming down with all the crawling animals and everything. And the Lord says, eat. And then he says, no, Lord, I can't. I'm undefiled. And the Lord says, no, if I call it pure, then you will eat, which is the whole picture of because now he has to go into a Gentile house, which... Previously was against the law, but since the Lord is going to call them pure, then he can, he's not in a position to judge. So, the guys arrive. So now let's read from verse 17. 
Now while Peter wondered within himself what this vision which he had seen meant, behold, the men who had been sent from Cornelius had made inquiry for Simon's house and stood before the gate. And they called and asked whether Simon, whose surname was Peter, was lodging there. While Peter thought about the vision, the Spirit said to him, Behold, three men are seeking you. Arise therefore, go down and go with them, doubting nothing, for I have sent them. Then Peter went down to the men who had been sent to him from Cornelius and said, Yes, I am he whom you seek, for what reason have you come? And they said, Cornelius the centurion, a just man, one who fears God and has a good reputation among all the nation of the Jews, was divinely instructed by a holy angel to summon you to his house and to hear words from you. Then he invited them in and lodged them, and on the next day Peter went away with them, and some brethren from Joppa accompanied him, and the following day they entered Caesarea. Okay, what's happened? Tell them. The travel time between Joppa and where's the, the Caesarea is 13 hours. 13 hours. Yes. 13 hours walking distance if you walk, not driving with a car. Okay. Walking distance. We looked on Google Maps. So, walking distance, which means that obviously no person is going to walk 13 hours necessarily in one day. We see that they, so the guys arrived, which means that they were maybe walking for two days. They stay, then the next day they leave, and then the next day they enter Caesarea. So he sends these guys, they walk 13 hours there to go get Paul. It's in the middle of Peter. the day, Peter. Well, they should have gotten Paul as well. But anyway, so... No, they couldn't yet. It was an unbeliever. <laughs> so, I'm joking. So they're going to get Peter. <laughs> okay. So now they, they leave straight away. They leave no. the next morning. They leave, they leave the, the next, next day. Morning. They leave the next morning. They walk a whole day. They've got a sleepover and they arrive the middle of the next day there. Okay. So for the guys sent, this was a three and a half day journey to go get Peter. And for Peter to go... This was walking an entire day and another half day sleeping over somewhere to get to Cornelius. A Gentile I mean, that met. he doesn't want to go to, but the Lord told him to. So that was, we were, our flight was delayed and it was more or less the same amount of time that we had to Yeah, travel. we worked out the travel time there was about 13 hours and yeah. the travel time back with the delay then, worked out to about 13. So we were, okay, so this is how we feel tired and it's not even, we're just sitting on a plane, sitting on an airport and we, we feel tired and drained. These guys walk there. They walk there. I mean, so the readiness to respond to the Lord. Yes, fair enough. Paul did receive a vision. Okay, I know people that have received visions and still didn't go seen it happen many times. Then there's people that come and say, Cornelius has asked for you to come because an angel told him to call you. Okay, but this is what Peter's attitude is. Okay, if the Lord wants him to go somewhere, he's going to walk 13 hours to get there. Okay, now I don't know about you guys. But when the Lord, if the Lord says to me, I want you to walk 13 hours to go see someone, 
Okay, I'll do it, but I'm going to have some <laughs> questions. Lord, can I have new shoes at least? It's like, how many of you are used to walking 13 hours to get somewhere? And you know you're going to have to walk all the way back. And then, just a note, when they arrive, Cornelius is already waiting. So it's not even like he's got time to rest or freshen up or anything. It's like he walks in the door and then the Holy Spirit falls starting. and then he, there he goes. So... So the Holy Spirit wants to lead Cornelius that has been faithful into being born again, baptized, so that the Holy Spirit can fill him. But he will go through all this trouble to get Peter from some other town to go there. So Peter pitches up and everything starts happening. But the Lord will not sovereignly do it, even though he wants to. So he'll send an angel, speak to Cornelius. He will show Peter a whole vision. But he will not sovereignly save this guy. Now let's look at Cornelius. If we're going to talk about trading, doing something with what you have had. This guy's not a Jew. He's just been... Um, stationed as a centurion in Israel. He's living with the Jews and through this, all he knows is the Torah and the prophets. So he knows what the Jews know. Well, I mean, we're not even necessarily sure about how he, much of it he understands. In or knows. some way, he came to believe in Yahweh and the only way that he had to, he cannot bring sacrifices, he cannot partake in the feasts, he cannot go worship the, in the temple yeah, he can't go, or the synagogue. He can't go to any of the synagogues. So what he can do is he can give he can give alms. So he can make contributions. He could he can help some of the Jewish people when they have trouble. He seeks ways to honor the Lord from what he has. Does this sound like a one talent guy at the moment? He's just doing whatever he can with the little that he has. Because he cannot have covenant. But he believes in this and God. And he would know that. And he's spending time seeking the Lord in prayer. But he's adding some action to that faith. He's not just seeking the Lord in prayer. He's doing what he can to bless and honor God's people in a way that will honor God. And, it, and God respects this. God acknowledges it. He acknowledges the centurion Gentile as a faithful man. And he sends who? Who does he send? Is there, is there a greater servant of God on planet Earth right now than Peter? He's the guy. So this one talent guy he does what he can with little he has, and God sends him Peter. Sends him Peter. And all he has to do is just hear the gospel. The Holy Spirit is poured out, and they can be baptized in it. Because if he started knowing Yahweh, he would have had to acknowledge the law, and as a Gentile even, the law would have been activated over him. So he's baptized with his family. The law is cancelled. 
and he comes into the covenant. So, how does this relate to storing up treasures for yourself in heaven? See now, it wasn't, um, it wasn't that God sent his most important apostle because he was being nice to Cornelius. He was giving Peter treasure. He was giving Peter treasure. Now this centurion guy, <coughs> why is the centurion guy treasure? Because having a person like that, with that much influence, that much wealth, that much ability and that kind of heart, having him come into the kingdom, is there any chance this guy is not going to bear fruit? Well, I mean, this guy and his family, Cornelius and his family, opened the doors for all the other Gentiles to be accepted by those who exactly. are believing. Exactly. That's what God uses him and his family to establish in the uh, Jerusalem church that prophecies that uh, Gentiles would be included in the covenant that's now come true. Peter, the most important witness, is witnessing to the fact that he's going like, I don't even understand this, but God wants to give them the Holy Spirit. So, okay. so that, when we do the study on Romans, we're going to see this whole thing unfold very nicely in the book of Romans. So what are we looking at? This centurion and his family, is there any chance they're not going to bear fruit? How many people through their witness and their lives are going to come to know the gospel? We can only imagine. We can only imagine. There's unfortunately no record that we know of. But even, but the fact, even if there's no record, <clears throat> even if they didn't actively from there on do anything, they were still faithful in this event, in yeah, sending for Peter and thereby the opening of the doors, which means that the fact that Gentiles can now come in would be a part of their fruit. Anyway, that would be fruit that they would bear inactively. So you see, what, this, what makes this important is that Peter would go because the Lord wanted him to go. The Lord does all the work. Every time Cornelius and his family members, any of them bear fruit, although Peter might never see them again, they adding, this is the best pyramid scheme ever, mm. they adding to Peter's treasure in heaven. Exactly. So Peter's not dealing with them anymore, but every time that they bear fruit, Peter has more treasure in heaven. Just because Peter was the one that got to go. So, so what did we see? <coughs> now this is the important thing, we're getting to this this treasure thing, this treasure thing. When we do the right thing according to what God has prepared, then we get to interact with other people. We get to interact with other people. Now this starts obviously with fellowship here. So we might say, well, everybody here is blessed, so how can I accumulate treasure here? If I strengthen someone, if I encourage someone, 
if in any way we contribute to the growth of the body, okay, that is how we, tra we, we lay up treasure. And the world out there, whenever we contribute to, we respond to opportunities to trade with what belongs to the Lord. So what belongs to Him? What is He going to give us that belongs to Him? By the Spirit. So the Holy Spirit belongs to Him. It's His Spirit. So if we do anything by the Spirit, that would be using the talents that He gave us. Love. The Lord's love. When we extend the Lord's love, not our own. Okay. Truth. Any part of His Word. You don't have to quote the Word, to act according to the Word, or to speak the Word, to live out the Word. So that would be using the talents, because the Word is His. The Word is His. Um, good works that are sanctioned by the Lord. So looking after the poor, the orphans, and the widows, in any way, that would be, that would be part of, of that when we are seeking opportunities from the Lord to interact with the world around us, uh, we will be granted opportunity by Him to interact with that which is eternal. And the moment we have invested what we have received from Him, according to our abilities, into the body, into that which is eternal, that is us storing up treasure. Now, it works like this. This is very important. I just want to get to the main mm. thing. So we have the two realities. We have us in Him. So I'm in Him. And this is? Kingdom. Kingdom. Okay. And I have Him in me. And this is Earth. Okay. Now, the only way you're going to accumulate treasure in heaven is he has to give of what is the substance of the kingdom. He has to give it to me in this world and invest it in me. And I have to, it says that we have to trade with it. So we have to trade on earth with that. And we have to now multiply that. Okay? But now, we keep multiplying that. So, the character of Messiah, the revelation of Him, His knowledge, His wisdom, His love, His power, His touch, His mindset, renewing of the mind, all of that that is given of Him, His Word, we use it, we multiply, but now, this is all here. It has to be translated into something that can be deposited back into the heavenly realm. Is that what that scripture says? Store up for yourself treasure in heaven. Okay. The only way that all of what we have received from Him and used, if it was multiplied, the only way that it can get there 
is how. Is, is if they built the best Ferrari that was ever built, is it huh? going, is God going to go like, that's really, really like we something? Need, definitely need one of those. Okay, remember when we destroy the earth, bring that back with you. When the angels come to gather up, is they going to go like, we got the Ferrari. Yeah, personally, I don't understand why that's not going to happen, but, but it, it's not going to happen. Okay, so... Okay, so... We must show you a picture of the biggest aquarium, freshwater aquarium ever built by a guy named Amana. Um, and that is going to stay behind. It's going to be destroyed. It's sad. It's not good. But anyway, so... <laughs> so, so now... <laughs> So what we're supposed to multiply here has to translate into treasure there. Now, it's not your prayers. It can't be your prayers. Okay? Don't overestimate. God loves your prayers, but that's not treasure in heaven. That no, goes into a know, bowl? Yeah, exactly. We know that it goes into the bowl that is poured out in the end. The bowl of incense, which is the prayer of the saints. So it's not the treasure. Right, so that's not the treasure. That goes into the bowl. Okay. <clears throat> so what, in what way can we translate this into that? Because remember, sorry. It's like just Bitcoin. To, to, yeah. to point something out. So the Lord gives us of his goods, of his possession. Then we trade. Then after a long time, it says he comes back to settle accounts. Then obviously... That which he deposited in the beginning is given back. But then everything that was, so everything extra, all that was multiplied is also given to him. They don't keep, so the guy who made 10, who now has 10 talents, the Lord doesn't go, okay, well done. So you keep five and then I'll just take the five that I gave you. No, everything then is given back to the Lord. Which means that he deposits this side. We trade, but we don't keep anything. None of it is a reward for us here and now. It's all just for the kingdom in the future. Okay. Which means that if I had five, so he, or, okay, let's say two. He gives two. Now I trade. I don't want to, like, overshoot here. I don't want to set a standard for myself. So two. So he gives two. Now I trade. Now I gain two more. But now... That extra two isn't for me. It's not my reward because I traded well with the two that he gave me. And now, great, I have two more. So now let's celebrate party time. It's not how it works. The extra two that I get, how do I now deposit that? Because that is now the extra treasure. How do I deposit that in the kingdom? Well, now I have extra treasure to trade with. So now instead of the two that I had, I now have four. So now I have four talents to invest. So now I start trading with four. Now this multiplies. I have four more, so now I have eight. But now it's not six for me and two for the Lord. Now I have eight talents to trade with. So now whatever reward, whatever fruit I'm gaining, whatever fruit there is, whatever increase there is, it's not for me for here now. I'm going to pour this back into the kingdom. So what do I do? So now I trade with the eight that I now have because the Lord is now increasing because I'm using that which he gave me. So my abilities are increasing. I'm getting smart. I'm getting wiser. So now I can trade better. So now the eight increases. Now I have 16. 
None of it's for me now because I'm investing it in the kingdom. I'm investing it in eternity. So what do I do? I take the 16. I pour it back into the kingdom. Now I start trading it up. You, we see where it's going. Okay. So and this is where the heart thing comes in. Because once your heart, once you just deposit that little bit, so he gives you two, you deposit that into the kingdom. Whatever he gives you, you give it for the kingdom, trade it for there. Now, your heart can move there. Which means that the reward, or we call it reward, but the fruit or the increase that's, that could potentially now come, the four that you now have. Your heart, the more you trade, the more you give yourself to this, your heart will become safe from wanting to take any of the treasure for yourself here because your heart is now moved to the eternal treasure which is being stored up for you in heaven. So now your heart becomes safe. But then the more you increase, the more you're pouring it in here, the more your heart is going for here. So even the reward you're having, that you're, or the reward that's being gained, that's being deposited here, it's still going to be the desires of your heart that you are now gaining because you're putting it where your heart is. Your heart isn't here. Is this making sense? Why is this important? Because there's a dynamic that we've also seen in the world around us where the Lord does give of that which is His. So He gives a person five talents it's of what is His. And then the person becomes aware of the things of the Lord. They're interacting with the body. They're fellowshipping. They're interacting with others. And then somehow Instead of understanding that what they are multiplying should deposit back there, they start depositing into self without realizing. We've seen that happen. So a person comes, says they felt the Lord laid on their hearts to start a prayer and intercession time within the fellowship, and the person has laid it on her heart to do this. Sounds like a good idea. Sounds like a kingdom act. So the Lord lays it on my heart to say it's good. People can come together and pray, but quietly. No words, no loud praying. They want to pray and intercede. Everybody can come together, but quietly. Person's unhappy about this. Why? Because what happened was they took of what was deposited in them that they were supposed to trade for the sake of laying up treasures in heaven and... They wanted to start trading to promote self. They might not have even clearly understood what was developing in their hearts, but they wanted to gain influence, wanted to gain position, and they wanted to use what the Lord had given them to trade with to accomplish that. That happens easily within the kingdom, within the church world, and within fellowship, easily. So we use revelation that the Lord has given, and we talk about it, we share it, but not for the benefit of the body, we share it so that we can receive honor from the Lord. And that's where that thing comes in, where you can receive your reward here. So, um, hmm. for instance, we see this dynamic... Uh, earlier in Matthew chapter 6 with the charitable deeds the prayer and the fasting 
where the Lord is with all three of those dynamics saying, don't do it. There's nothing for men to see. Do it in a secret place. Your father who sees in secret, he will reward you openly. So it connects to that dynamic. I'm not saying that's the whole truth behind that, but it connects to that dynamic. See, now what happens is <clears throat> when you store up for yourself, so, so we read that and we say, do not store up for yourself treasure on earth. And we go, oh, it must be... The house. I will never own a house, ever. It must be financial wealth on earth. We mustn't be paying, <laughs> we mustn't be using all our time and our effort to store up uh, treasures here. I don't think it necessarily focuses on that. Because in the promises to Abraham, because we are, the, we are, the, we are grafted into Abraham, so the promises to Abraham is our promises. In it, it says that he'll be blessed. Anybody that blesses him will be blessed. He will be a blessing to the nations. So wherever he is, he, everybody around him will receive of the blessing. So that's not the problem. He's not saying, do not, do not store up anything for yourself on earth. You're not allowed to have anything. That's not the point. It's very important to understand. It's that thing where if your heart is more here than there, and you start multiplying those things, but you are not focused on treasuring it up in heaven, then we can start to deposit where our heart is, and our heart is still with self. The only way to live out these two instructions from the Lord correctly is the revelation of one man. Can we now... Go to Ephesians, please. Yes. The revelation of one man is what makes this safe and doable in a safe way. Because we understand that the only thing from planet Earth that will be redeemed is God's sons and daughters. Well, can we read it in this order? You can. Okay, let's go to, we're going to get to there, but let's go to 2 Thessalonians. Okay, do that. Can I do, order. Yeah, do, do it in the order. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 from verse 14. For if we believe that Yahushua died and rose again, even so God will bring with him those who sleep in Yahushua. For this we say to you by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord will by no means precede those who are asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel and with the trumpet of God. And the dead in Messiah will rise first. Then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And thus we shall always be with the Lord. Okay, so why is this important? Let's go to Revelation chapter 22. Verse 12. It's just one verse. I'll read it. Don't page. One verse. Revelation chapter 22, verse 12. And behold, this is the Lord speaking, the letters are in red. And behold, I'm coming quickly, and my reward is with me to give to everyone according to his work. So, there's, okay, so to give to everyone according to his work, we see this, the settling of the accounts. But then he says he's coming back and his reward is with him. So now if we link this with what's happening in the Thessalonian scripture we read, just wait. Oh. So the Lord is coming with a shout. It's the day of the Lord. There's a lightning, the strike that goes from the, that can be seen from the east to the west. Every eye knows there's a light that goes um, through the air, and the shout is like trumpet and um, uh, thunder, 
and then he comes and he has envelopes. Uh, this is yours. Well done. And um, certificates. Oh, yes, this is yours. Calling up names. Okay. Uh, <clears throat> Did anybody see Anne? Is she still around? Uh, not yet. Not yet. Okay. We'll keep this for later. Maybe she didn't make it. No. Oh. This is. Um, <laughs> So it says he's coming and he has his reward with him. What? Oh, what's most people thinking? I'm wondering, because everybody's excited that he's bringing my reward. Oh boy, that scares me. But don't you uh, think it's if if you see if if the reward is that which was done in the body, then I'm not. I don't know. No, no matter how well I've done, I'm not necessarily expecting uh, the reward to be positive for me. So this, this is what will help our mindset. Yes. But there's something very important here. It doesn't say I'm coming quickly and your reward is with me. Mm -hmm. Or someone else's or all the saints' rewards are with me. He says, I'm coming quickly and my reward is with me. So in actual fact, there's no reward for us here at all. He's coming with his own reward. And so it does say he's a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. And there's enough. Um, um, Bruce Wilkinson actually wrote a very popular best-selling book about the reward in heaven. And I'm not saying he was wrong, but he's bringing his reward with him when he comes with the shout. The dead then him will be raised first, and then those who are still alive will be caught up into heaven with him. So, where's all the emphasis placed? All the emphasis placed. Okay, you can read the rest of it. Okay, let's go to Ephesians chapter 1. From verse 7 to 12. <clears throat> In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, according to the riches of his grace, which he made to abound toward us in all wisdom and prudence, having made known to us the mystery of his will, according to his good pleasure which he purposed in himself that in the dispensation of the fullness of the times, he might gather together in one all things in Messiah, both which are in heaven and which are on earth, in him. In him also we have obtained an inheritance, being predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, that we who first trusted in Messiah should be to the praise of his glory. So we receive an inheritance in him. All things, all things are made one in him, both the things that are in heaven and on earth, in him. So our inheritance in him is that which is going to be made one in him. So when it say, or says all things are made one, all those things that will remain. Because we know that it can't be all things because the other things are destroyed. So all things that will remain, that were created for him, will be reconciled in him, in one. That's what we call one man. 
And so, if we, our inheritance is in Him, and that is the end of the whole plan, that all things in heaven and on earth are made one in Him, then that's our inheritance. That's the reward. So, if we're going to store up for ourselves treasure in heaven and not on earth, it means that everything that we have received from Him, that is His, to use on earth, to multiply what He has given us, so that when He comes to settle accounts, is a part of that final picture. So when He comes to settle accounts, and He says, I've given you revelation of salvation, when you were saved, and you go, and I thanked you for it every day of my life. He's going to go, for the last 30 years, I heard you thanking me. But weren't you supposed to trade with it? But I never, you know, I don't like speaking to people. I'm an introvert and I don't like sharing my faith, it's personal. And he goes, you know that I send exactly 12 people over a two-year period your way. They are here now because somebody else traded with them. But the, the revelation of salvation that you kept so carefully in your heart, that was actually buried in the soil part of your being, the earth part. Um, and this is the message that we're bringing, that every believer, every believer is included in this parable. Okay, so if we're his servants, he's going to call each and every one of his own servants. And he's going to deposit some of what belongs to him in every believer, according to our abilities. So thankfully, he's not going to give more than we can handle, and he's not going to require more from us. Is that right? But then he's going to expect us to learn to trade with it. And this is the simple message. The fact is that Peter was ready and capable. It took a lot of hard work from the Lord to get Peter ready, let's face it. And then finally he just had to pour the, his whole Holy Spirit out on him to get him to do the job. But Peter was ready by the time that Cornelius needed somebody to come. And then Peter was willing with his readiness to go. We have a beautiful story of Cornelius and his whole household and baptized in the Holy Spirit. So then Paul and his companions, they were walking from place to place, hoping to share the gospel there. They would arrive literally at a place where the Holy Spirit said, No, time has not yet come for Asia. Monet and his team will go there in 2019. Um, so, so, Paul, if you go there now, they have nothing to do. So, no, don't do it. And then, um, the, the fact is they were ready, they were, were equipped. Paul was called by the Lord, but he equipped. And then he was willing to interact. At his own peril. I mean, how many people after being stoned <laughs> gets up and goes? With 
tell the Romans, I'm looking forward to coming there again. I'm going, like, what? <laughs> really? Okay, don't you remember what happened? So, so that is, um, so that's the message. That we, uh, there's only one way we're going to, we're going to lay up treasure in heaven. It is the body, it's the sons and daughters of God. One man is what we see everywhere. Everything in the Bible revolves around that. And so, um, and I'm, I'm no, we're we preaching to the choir here because most people here have already entered into wanting to contribute, wanting to be part of. But our job is to encourage everybody to to have the highest vision for this. We want to wake up in the morning and the first things in the morning we want to ask the Lord for opportunity. But then we've got to be careful to use the opportunity that He gives us and use it properly. And never allow, this is what we want to, this is the warning in it, never allow any of it to be for self. Mm. So we have a vision of whatever fruit there is of my interaction with people today, it has to be deposited as treasure in heaven. Because then my heart will be there. But if I'm, my heart is with, if my heart is with, with aware with what I'm busy with right now, that's what gets my heart going. Because let's face it, there's evangelists that are evangelizing for their own sake. And there's preachers that are preaching for their own sake. Because I don't understand that if you store up your treasures here, then you have your reward here. So what's the reward? The reward is that when he comes, all is gathered to him in unity. We become one with him and with each other in the air. So somewhere between the coming of the new creation and the going of the old creation, even before the judgment, we become one with Him and each other. That's why we're already divided when the judgment happens. Now, that can be the reward. So we wait. We wait for the unity and the oneness and the love there. Or we start to have our reward here. That's when we gather a lot of people around us that really love us and like us and we're part of each other and it's great because we, we're doing it for feeling great and feeling good here. Does it make sense? And that's why we're so careful in this ministry not to, not to um, encourage that kind of fellowship here. So we love each other and we are family, but we're not going to take our reward here. Mm. Not from each other and not from the Lord. Does it make sense? So I'm hoping that this is a f simple teaching, actually, but it's important that we have that. It will govern. Yeah. Let me just, because I feel like it's coming to a close, mm. and uh, something important just to point out, because I don't know if we're going to get through those examples. Mm. Um, but we were reading, maybe you guys can go read um, Psalm 37 during the week. Uh, so there is obviously this very important truth of whatever the Lord gives us, we give back. So like Abel, the God, oh, the God, God, he brings back to the Lord what the Lord had given him. So that's the picture of the sacrifice. 
Um, and so, although we are now emphasizing that truth, there is also the element, and not ever to be mistaken or um, forgotten, is the two um, equal truths that on the one hand we are his servants, but on the other hand, we are also one spirit with him, and it is a love relationship. So, although there is a very big element of whatever he gives us, we pour back into the kingdom, on the other hand, there is an equal truth that doesn't disqualify the first, that sometimes, just because he loves us and we love him, there will be a form of reward for, for us that comes out of the place of, of love. So, um, so let's not confuse. I mean, we, we have to we have to address that mindset as well. So a lot of people think, oh, we we invest, we invest ourselves, we minister, we sacrifice, we do things, and there's some form of reward that's going to come out of that for us. We want to scrap that whole idea off the table. Okay. So whatever he's given us to work with, if it multiplies, it is his. He takes. When he balances the books, he takes all of it. He's not going to go like, okay, you have now multiplied it to 100. I'm going to take 95 and 5 is yours. No. Everything goes back to him. That's how he trades. That's how it works. But now, gifts. Love gifts from him. That's something different. It's not related to how well we trade it. It's not related to how well we're doing. Because have we noticed that sometimes we're doing, in this world, the way that we have lived sacrificially, we have traded with what the Lord has given us, we have been faithful in the Word, faithful in service, faithful in prayer, and it looks like there's no love gifts or rewards coming right now. And then other times, I'm really not doing that good, and He lavishes gifts on me. That's why it's gifts. It's love gifts. So, he will gift us because he decided to give a gift. Okay, so does it make sense? And it's not related to how well we did. When it comes to reward, the reward is unity as part of the body. The reward is being part of Him redeeming the saints. Mm. That's the reward. And as far as trading with what He has given us, within fellowship, within all the aspects of life, we gain no reward out of it. He's going to take everything back. It's His, his reward. His reward. He'll bring His reward back in the form of the saints when He comes. And we all part of it. So, <clears throat> the treasure that we lay up there is all the interactions in fellowship, all the interactions with people around us, and especially the interactions with the seed. That is the treasure that we lay up there. Doesn't make sense. Our minimal uh, responsibility here is to live sacrificially. That's just, there's no extra. That's just what we're supposed to do. So there's no reward for that. It's what we do. 
So that's just to put it very clearly. So has everybody got it clear? So he gives us of what is his, then he gives us opportunity. We seek the opportunity, he will give us opportunity. Those interactions, he will, he will take his whole reward from that. It's his. Salvation is his. Righteousness is his. Grace is his. So we become agents of grace here, but all action that involved grace that is going to bear fruit, his. It doesn't go on your books. It doesn't go like Monet gain 10 points for being gracious. No? Remember there's only one book. There's the books for those who aren't in him, but then for the rest who are in him, there's only the one book. So when I loved on his behalf, the way that he loved on his people, all the rewards is his, because it was his love. It was him in us. There can be no way that a little inscription is made in my book. Cannot, because it's him. That makes sense? So when I shared the gospel effectively with someone and someone comes to salvation, that salvation is his reward. I have um, traded with what he gave me, and it goes on. It's his glory. So he will be worshipped for everything that I did on his behalf. But gifts on this side, when he, when he provides for us, when he gives us those things that our heart desired that we didn't need, we often know when it's him, when it's something we didn't need, we couldn't afford and we couldn't have, but he gave it to us somehow out of love. That makes sense. Now there's a personal fulfillment in trading with what he gave us, and bearing fruit, there is definitely a personal fulfillment that comes out of that. So we could see it as a reward, but that's just personally partaking in eternity. In eternity. So that's still eternity. It's still eternity. Because remember, even while we are living here, we, we have put on the dual state of existence anyway. Mm. So even if we're storing up treasures for heaven, so there is this idea of one day when we get there, the reward will be there. But at the same time, we are very intently uh, focusing ourselves and giving ourselves to being able to walk in the Spirit and uh, developing an eternity mindset and you know, living from our existence there, which means that even the sense of fulfillment and growth that we do experience when the reward is increased um, can still be in eternity even if we do experience some of it here. So I'm hoping this isn't bringing any condemnation, it's just to, to make it very clear so that we can walk it out properly. Okay? So just a last thought. Now we can start to monitor where our hearts are. We believers, we always want our hearts to be busy with kingdom things and with the treasure that's in so our hearts are actually focused and established in those that will be one. That's the focus. Mm. Now we all want that. The reality is, it's very quickly that our hearts can be busy with what we're busy with. Our hearts can be invested there, isn't it? Okay, so it could be the things on this side, the responsibilities on this side, the, wor the worries on this side, or the rewards on this side. So this is for us to just identify when our heart starts weighing in on this side and we go, okay, 
You can't just go like, oh, I'm going to correct it. My heart's going to be there. No, your heart is going to remain in that place where you find it until you correct the laying up treasure aspect. So now you, you, you start taking back some of your time, some of your attention, some of your energy, and you start focusing your time and your effort on trading so that you can have treasure to deposit there. Mm. Okay, now if you have like a little piggy bank with three coins in it there, your heart is not going to be there because it's not yet treasure. We get the concept. Treasure has to be a big chest like this with a big lock on it and a lot of goodies inside. That's well, treasure. Well, a treasure can also be one pole of great <clears throat> it could, but you could also have a big chest with lots of balls of great worth. But, but do, we get, do we get that? So if the heart remains, if, the, if our hearts keep weighing in here, although we don't want it to, just somehow we find our heart wants to be focused here, it just means that there's not enough treasure there. So the problem isn't that, oh, I've got to deny everything here. That's not the solution. Use what you have here to start laying up treasure there. Your heart will start to go where your treasure is. Because even people with nothing here will, all, will have their hearts here with their treasure that's nothing here. A person can have no belongings and just they can be their own treasure. Does that make sense? So the answer is, more treasure there, the more you, you, your heart will start being there. It's actually a big key to the way we walk with the Lord. Mm -hmm. Yes? Is that why it said, like, don't do things for men, but do it for us? That's right. That's right. And that's why... Um, you, 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 that's why we can identify who's doing what. A person can say and uh, say everything right, look like they're doing things right, but the moment that it comes to the point where they have to choose between the honor of men and the honor of God, they'll choose the honor of men. You can link that up with scriptures like um, Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6, that says, He is a rewarder of those who diligently seek Him. You can link it with the end, what's here, Matthew chapter 7, verse 21 to 23, with the Lord, Lord, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. So we can link it with all those kind of scriptures um, to form a cohesive thought pattern around that. So, so just that because is, you're doing the works doesn't mean you're laying up for yourself treasures. We still wanted to look at when he sent out the, the disciples. We still wanted to do that also. Well, I have that here. Oh, but no, that whole process The whole thing. process. Maybe okay, we can so do it on we can look at it. Maybe we shouldn't do it now. We should do it on Thursday. Okay, there's a whole dynamic there that we can connect with this. Yeah. But if we have two minutes, let's we just let's just look at Joseph. It's just okay. a good example of okay. how. Let's go to. Okay, Genesis 47 from verse 13. Now there was no bread in all the land, for the famine was very severe, so that the land of Egypt and the land of Canaan languished because of the famine. And Joseph gathered up all the money that was found in the land of Egypt and in the land of Canaan for the grain which they bought. And Joseph brought the money into Pharaoh's house. So when the money failed in the land of Egypt and in the land of Canaan, 
All the Egyptians came to Joseph and said, Give us bread, for why should we die in your presence? For the money has failed. Then Joseph said, Give your livestock and I will give you bread for your livestock, if the money is gone. So they brought their livestock to Joseph. This is, this, we were speaking, this makes no sense. Bring all your cows and your sheep and I'll give you some bread. Anyway, so they brought their livestock to Joseph and Joseph gave them bread in exchange for the horses, the flocks, the cattle of the herds and for the donkeys. Thus he fed them with bread in exchange for all their livestock that year. Do you want another answer to the mystery? It was the first cash crusaders. Genius. Okay. They were, they were pawning their animals. They could keep it. But, but it belonged to Pharaoh. Okay, so now. Let's see what's happening. Verse 18. When that year had ended, they came to him the next year and said to him, We will not hide from my Lord that our money is gone. My Lord also has our herds of livestock. There is nothing left in the sight of my Lord but our bodies and our lands. Why should we die before your eyes, both we and our land? Buy us and our land for bread, and we and our land will be servants of Pharaoh. Give us seed, that we may live and not die, that the land may not be desolate. Then Joseph bought all the land of Egypt for Pharaoh. For every man of the Egyptians sold his field, because the famine was severe upon them. So the land became Pharaoh's. And as for the people, he moved them into the cities, from one end of the borders of Egypt to the other end. Only the land of the priests he did not buy, for the priests had rations allotted to them by Pharaoh, and they ate their rations which Pharaoh gave them. Therefore they did not sell their lands. Then Joseph said to the people, Indeed, I have bought you in your land this day for Pharaoh. Look, here is seed for you, and you shall sow the land. And it shall come to pass in the harvest that you shall give one-fifth to Pharaoh. Four-fifths shall be your own, as seed for the field and for your food for those of your households, and as food for your little ones. So they said, You have saved our lives. Let us find favor in the sight of my Lord, and we will be Pharaoh's servants. And Joseph made it a law over the land of Egypt to this day, that Pharaoh should have one-fifth, except for the land of the priests only, which did not become Pharaoh's. Why did we include this? That's a beautiful picture. <clears throat> Joseph had no point tries to take advantage of the situation to benefit himself. Everything goes to Pharaoh. He is just serving Pharaoh the way he's supposed to. So he's representing Pharaoh and he buys all the animals. He doesn't find a way to buy 10% of the animals for himself. He buys all the animals for Pharaoh and it belongs to Pharaoh. All the land for Pharaoh and all the people for Pharaoh. So the benefit that Joseph will get out of it is Pharaoh gifting him with favor. Not according to, it can never be in relation to how much or how well he served Pharaoh. Because he just made Pharaoh the most powerful, richest man on in, earth at this on time. Earth. Mm. No. He had literally built Pharaoh's kingdom. Um, so when Pharaoh looks after him and his family, it's out of Pharaoh's goodness as a gift, not in relation to the way he served them. And uh, we thought it was just a beautiful picture of how this mm. dynamic We see the same works. dynamic with Daniel when he serves 
all the kings of the Babylonians and the Chaldeans and just doing faithfully according to God's ways, what he's supposed to do, not taking any favor or advantage for himself. Um, we see these dynamics with a few of the examples that we have in the Bible, uh, where the reward is not for themselves. In fact, they gain very little reward from a kingdom perspective. I mean, we think of Daniel, or we think of Joseph, and we think this isn't much of a reward. He's stuck in Egypt, or he's stuck in Babylon. But, but we see that the reward is for the kingdom later on so. and so um, although Joseph foresaw the famine and um, already provided already did his bit he's now do, going far beyond in serving Pharaoh um, he didn't have to do all the extra work all the extra serving he does and um, we thought this was just a picture of how we on earth will become the um, What's a rent meester? Uh, I don't know. We become the custodians of that which Messiah has given to us of his own. And we just trade. So what does it mean? None of the glory can go to me. None of the glory is mine. It should all return to the Lord as thanksgiving. That's... Um, Sounds sounds simple when we say it here. But it's um, the more you trade and the more you see dividends of the trading with what the Lord has given you, the harder it becomes, the more of a challenge it becomes to take none of the glory, mm -hmm. to take none of the reward for yourself. So that he can keep entrusting you to only trade on his behalf. Does that make sense? So... Does, is everybody seeing this as bigger, bigger key as we think it is yeah. for the way we live? Is it the big key? Okay. So that's it. We're going to do the rest now. I think that's it. Amen. <laughs>